0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that we know all these details about how you brought about the birth of your son for our salvation. And we just pray as we look at this uh, story, we look at these events that that actually happen in real time. We pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts for joy that we would uh, rejoice in you, that we would worship you more, that we would go out to whatever holiday gatherings or things that we have with just a profound sense that you have sent the greatest gift ever, Lord. And we, we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, and it's, uh, it's the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. It's uh, historically been called the Annunciation, which means the announcement. And the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that God had chosen her to be the mother of the Messiah. And remember, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at that promise through the Old Testament. And uh, we saw that that promise of a Messiah was made to Adam and Eve, even right after the fall, that there would be a child that would be born that would defeat evil. And then we looked at how the promise was made to Abraham, that one of his children would bless all nations. And then last week, we looked at how uh, David was promised a son uh, who would come and who would reign. And this Messiah was somebody that that Israel had waited for 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 millennia. Take a look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man who was named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and is in the 6th month of her, who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. This event, the Annunciation, probably happened about 6 B.C. Jesus was probably born about 5 B.C., I know. We messed up the calendar. It was a nice thought, but we were a little bit off, okay? It's okay. Um, Some of you guys are OCD. You're like, uh-huh, you know, it's fine. We don't have to change it. Mary, guys, was a very unlikely choice to be the mother of the Messiah. For one, it says in verse 27 that she was betrothed. So she wasn't married yet. Betrothal was the first step in marriage. So there would be a, a part where the couple would become betrothed. It's like engagement, but it was legally binding. The only way to end it would be divorce at that point. But during that time of betrothal, the, uh, the couples were, they were not allowed to be uh, intimate before their wedding, which would occur a year later when, when the wife actually came home to live with her husband and so she was betrothed. She was also a virgin. The word virgin here can mean different things in different contexts. It can just mean a young, unmarried woman without any reference to her history, but Luke here clearly means it to to mean that she's never been intimate with a man. When Mary's told that she'll have a son, her question is, how can this be? How can this be since I'm a virgin? Literally, the Greek says, I don't know a man, okay? So she's a very unlikely mother for the Messiah. She's also very unlikely because she's very young, Um, Mary would have been probably in this culture maybe 14 something like that she's probably a teenage girl Um, that was common to get married at that age so she's very young she's also from a nothing town Nazareth was was a nothing town I mean remember what Nathaniel said about it. You know, and his brother said, hey, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel was like, what good could come out of that place, right? It was a place, it was a nothing town. And she was poor. We're going to see evidence of that in in the song that she sings in in verse 46, the Magnificat. You're going to see hints that she's poor. And yet this girl gets a visit from the most powerful and prestigious being in the world, the angel Gabriel. And so the angel, who is angel Gabriel? Angels are creatures that were made like human beings. They can have personal relationships with God. They are personal sentient beings like we are, like humans, and made to glorify God. And Gabriel is a particularly high-ranking one. When you look in Isaiah and you see the angels going around the throne of God, they're covering their feet and their eyes, and they're saying, holy, 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 right? It says in this text, though, in verse 19, that Gabriel stands in the presence of God. Okay, so Gabriel has a particularly high rank, direct access to God, and he's been sent on other important missions. Remember, 600 years before this, he was sent to Daniel to give prophecies to Daniel. He's also been busy in his deliveries um, because he went to see Zechariah just recently um, to this story to tell him that he was going to be a father to John the Baptist. And when we think of angels, guys, we ought not to think of these Hallmark, chubby baby, fluffy angels, right, that you see in a Hallmark store something like that. Not like that at all, right? Um, when, when Gabriel appears to Mary, he strikes fear into her heart, okay? It, it says in verse uh, 28, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you, and he scares Mary half to death. And it must be hard to be Gabriel, because you got this thing, you got to go around, make all these announcements and stuff, but you terrify people. So you can imagine, like, he's trying to be as encouraging, and, you know, like, Hey, Mary, greetings, uh, favored one, you know, and she's like, Ah! You know, Like, this happened everywhere he went. So he says to her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't be afraid. I have a gift. And what is the favor? Look at verse 31. This is the favor to her. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then Mary has a question about it in 34. She says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's like, you know, I had seventh grade science class. I know how this works. How could this be? And Gabriel tells Mary that it's going to be a miraculous conception. Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I know, guys, there's a lot of drama historically last probably 100, 200 years about the virgin birth, the virgin conception. A lot of liberal churches are like, oh, we can't believe in that, you know. But it's really, guys, a worldview issue, isn't it? Um, Because Gabriel says here, nothing will be impossible with God, you know. If you believe in God then you probably have no problem with the virgin birth. If you believe in God that made this world and made all the worlds beyond this that we don't see, then you probably don't have a problem believing in a a virgin birth because God, by definition, can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. So it's not a problem, right? But if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, then you'll find the virgin birth impossible. And so we're left with this. We Christians have to explain where the baby came from. You have to explain where the universe came from. Okay, Uh, One author put it this way. Um, Christians believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. Atheists believe in the virgin birth of the cosmos. Choose your miracle, right? I mean, that's a pretty good way of putting it, right? Um, If you believe in God, virgin birth is no problem. By definition, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. If we don't believe in God, then you kind of have a bigger problem on your hands, which is this whole universe seems kind of impossible, doesn't it? And by the way, guys, the virgin birth also explains that cryptic prophecy we looked at in Genesis 3 about the seed of the woman who would someday come and, and defeat evil. Uh, the Ancients would have spoken of a seed of a man, but not a seed of a woman. The virgin birth shows how Jesus is the seed of the woman, but not of a man, right? That he is the biological son of a woman, but not the biological son of any man. He is God's son. But guys, this news, this news is not obviously good news to Mary, Okay? I think when we think about it, you know, she sees it that way, but on the face of it, it's not obviously good news. Mary is an unmarried teenage peasant girl in a culture where unwed mothers get either disowned or killed. Okay? When you first hear this news, it's not like, oh, good, that's just what I wanted, you know, to be pregnant and unmarried, right? And it seems very unlikely from the start of it that Mary's fiancé, Joseph, is going to believe the angel visitation, you know, virgin conception story, right? Like, that's probably been tried before. Um, He's probably going to be like, right, okay, how do we settle this? And, you know, and that's what he initially wanted to do, right? He initially wanted to stop the betrothal, but then angel had to come to him to tell him, no, this is legit, right? God has chosen for Mary a path that is, has great danger and great pain. I think that's something we really need to think about when we think about Mary. God chose a path for her life with great danger and great pain. Um, in chapter 2, Simeon warns Mary that being the mother of the Messiah is going to be super painful to her. If you look in Luke 240, uh, 2.35, the, the, angel, the, uh, the prophet Simeon, he says to Mary, he says, "...a sword will pierce through your own soul also." This is a path of great pain. God has chosen a scary, painful, costly path for Mary's life, but in the end, it's all favor. And that's the the thing about it, is that God has given her a scary, painful, costly path, but in the end, it will all be favor. It's all a gift. And what's amazing is how she responds. Look at how this teenage peasant girl responds to this terrifying plan that God has for her. I mean, think about this woman. In, In verse 38, this is what she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. is that amazing? That's amazing if you think about an unmarried, peasant, teenage girl, first century. God says, look, you're going to be pregnant. Nobody's going to even see how this is possible. It's miraculous. And she says, I'm all in. That's amazing, guys. You know, this is probably the most amazing faith in the Bible. We often talk about the faith of David or Peter or Paul, right? But what about the faith of this teenage girl? I mean, she is facing way more fear with way less information than any of those guys had and way less life experience, right? And she's like, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I'm in. And she not only agrees to this terrifying plan, but she sings about it, right? You look at the Magnificent, starting in verse 46. It's all, if you look at your Bible, it's all kind of um, poetry, Lining So she either busted out a poem or she sang about it. It's like a musical, right? Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord and my soul rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and his name is holy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts and their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those humble... those of humble estate he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. Is't that awesome? She is all in and she 's not just like just resigned to it, she 's happy for whatever plan God has for, her, no matter how scary or costly, or the, guys this is really, really rugged faith, and I think we really, really need to see what this faith is about, how can we have this faith? Because, guys, God has a, had a scary, painful, costly plan for Mary. And I'm sure that God has a scary, costly, painful plan for me and for you. And I know that sounds like, wow, Merry Christmas, right? But it's like, let's be realistic. Like, God has not promised us health, wealth, and prosperity, right? He hasn't. A lot of people are mad at him because he's like, hey, he promised me health, wealth, and prosperity, and look at this. And he didn't. (laughs) I mean, if you look at Jesus, when he says, come follow me, he says, pick up your cross, an instrument of, you know, execution, and follow me. You know, he talks about losing your life. I mean, Jesus did not, like, oversell this thing, right? He didn't, like, say, hey, I'm going to make everything great. No, like, false prophets do that, but he didn't do that. God has promised us hardship in this life, right? A life that is scary and painful and costly, but in the end, will be a huge gift, right? In the end, will be a huge gift. It'll be a favor. And I think we really need to hear this, guys, because we as a society are very suffering averse. I mean, nobody likes to hurt, but our society is very suffering averse. We refuse to suffer. We refuse to think that there's any way that suffering could, could turn out for good, that there could be any good in suffering. I mean, that's something of our culture. That's something all of us breathe all the time, right? I mean, it's true. Not all cultures are like that. You can go to other cultures and they say, oh no, suffering is something you know, that God will use or somehow this will be used for something greater. But our culture, we refuse to suffer. We refuse to believe that any good comes from suffering. And guys, I'm no different. I mean, I, you, I've told you guys before, I deal with anxiety. And a lot of my anxiety, guys, comes from imagining some sort of scarily, scary, painful, costly future, right? Apart from the spirit, I'd be ruled by the fear of what might happen. And i got imagination for this. I can spin out all kinds of horrible futures and dystopias for myself really easily. And, and I seem to be wired that way. I want, guys, the teenage girl courage of this passage. Don't you? I want this. I'm tired of being afraid. Are you tired of being afraid? Are you tired of thinking about your future and just being afraid of it? I want rugged Hebrew girl teenager faith <laughs> that's in here. The kind of faith, guys, it says in, in verse 38, Behold, I'm your servant. Let it be according to, my, according to your word. Like I'm all in. Whatever you command, I'm in. Whatever you ordain in my life, I'm in. That's the way she is. How can we have that kind of faith? How can we say, Lord, do to me whatever you want? You been able to pray that? I mean, I don't know if I've honestly ever prayed this thing that Mary said. Can we do that? We can do that, guys. We can have faith like Mary had. When we see that in the plan that he has for us, whether it be costly and painful and and scary, that in that plan plan, there's a huge blessing. Gabriel said to her that she's favored, and she believed it, right? And the favor that she saw was a person. Okay, there's a person Mary's going to receive that's going to make any suffering worth it. Look at verse 30. He says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus." Um, Being Mary, being Jesus' mother, scary, painful, and costly, but in the end would be a massive blessing. And I see three ways here, and I want to get to them. There's three ways in which Jesus is going to be a massive blessing to Mary. First one, Mary will be in the family of the king. Look at verse 32. He says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. We looked at this last week. In 2 Samuel 7, David was promised that that a a son would be born to him, or a great-great-great grandson would be born to him that would reign as king forever, that there would be a real human king from his line that would reign on his throne forever. And we saw last week, the only way that can be fulfilled is through Jesus. I mean, right now, there is no king in Israel. There's no Davidic king reigning. Either God's not faithful or Jesus is that king. Like, there's, that's the only two options, right? Jesus is that real human king. Jesus is David's great, 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 probably like 50 times grandson who is reigning on the throne right now. There is a human God-man king reigning on the throne of David right now at this very moment in, in response to that promise. And and this king, Jesus, will soon return to reign here on earth, and he's going to subdue everything that's contrary to human flourishing. Do you guys realize that? Like he's reigning now, and he's going to come in a way, and he's going to subdue everything. That's what kings do. They subdue things, right? They take control. He's going to control this world such that everything that is contrary to human flourishing will be subdued. 1 Corinthians 15.25 says, He must reign until he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so Jesus is going to come, and he's going to subdue, as he reigns on earth, subdue and remove all abuse, addictions, Alzheimer's, anger, autoimmune diseases, arthritis, cancer, chronic pain, cynicism, death, depression, dictators, yes, they're in alphabetical order, earthquakes, (laughs) fatherlessness, fear, hate, HIV, homelessness, hopelessness, hunger, loneliness, lust, malaria, murder, nuclear weapons, oppression, panic attacks, parasites, Parkinson's, porn, poverty, predators, racism, sexism, slavery, suspicion, tsunamis, wildfires, etc. Do you guys have anything right now that you can think of that was not on that list? Please give them to me right now. Tell me. What? What? Zombies, if they are real, will be eliminated. Yes. He will come, guys, and he will rule, and he will remove everything that is contrary to human flourishing. And the cool thing is Mary gets to be that king's mom. Okay, that's the blessing. Mary gets to be that king's mom. She gets to be in the family of the king, and that's why she's all in. Also, Mary will get to carry God within her. The angel Gabriel says in verse 32 and verse 36, says in verse 32 that, that Jesus is the Son of the Most High. It says in verse uh, 36 that Jesus is holy, the Son of God, right? The child within Mary will be both human and God. And this is what we call the incarnation. And it's really amazing because God the Son has existed forever. He has no beginning, no end. And there was a time when he had no body, Right? Is God without a body. So before about, you know, 6 B.C., whenever the conception was, he had no body for eternity past. Didn't need a body. Um, lived in a way that was bodiless. He then, in the incarnation, took on a body. And in taking on a body, he is permanently become a man, God and man. And he has his body still. Do you guys realize that? In Colossians, it says in chapter 2 that all the fullness of deity is pleased to dwell bodily. in, the, in it's present tense. He still has his body. He's, he's become a human being. And um, it says that he has become a human being permanently. And, and it's not just that he has a human body on the outside and inside he's God. It's not like he's God wearing a man suit. He's fully human on the inside too. The son has a real human soul and a real human spirit, a real human nature. A sinless one, but a real human one. He has real human thoughts. He has real human emotions. Hebrews says that he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. And yet when the son became a man, he didn't swap his deity for humanity. He added humanity to his deity. And so in his whole earthly life, he remained 100% God, right? Jesus is 100% God. So much that Paul could talk about Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross as God's blood. He says that in Acts 20. And so what we have here in this baby born around 5 B.C. is the God-man. Truly God, truly man, two natures in one person. Isn't that amazing? This is what St. Augustine said about it. He said, "...man's maker was made man that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast." that the bread might be hungry, that the fountain might thirst, that the light might sleep, that the way might be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of falsehood, that the teacher might be beaten with whips, that the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. Awesome. Similarly poetic in the beginning of John. It says that the word became flesh and and it says it dwelt among us. And the word there is tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. He became flesh and tabernacled. And the first place he tabernacled was in Mary, in Mary's womb. And that's why the Council of Chalcedon in 451 says that Mary was the theotokos, the God-bearer, they called her. She bore God. God lived within her. She carried God. And that's why Elizabeth in verse 42 says, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb.'" And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so for nine months, Mary gets to carry God within her. And then from then on, she gets to have God living with her daily in her very own home. That was worth whatever pain God had in his plan. Third, Mary will be forgiven through him. Mary was told to give him a name, which is kind of convenient. You're going to have a child, here's his name. How many of you guys really agonized over that, right? You had to, like, come up with a name and all this stuff. It's like, here's your child, here's your name. It's, like, simple. Kid complains later, don't like the name, God gave it to me. You know, like, boom, no responsibility for it. It's awesome. So in verse 31, he says, you shall call his name Jesus. That word Jesus is, is the same word in the Old Testament. It's called Joshua, right? And Joshua or Jesus means Yahweh saves, and remember, Joshua in the Old Testament, he was a kind of savior, right? Where he led the people into the promised land. He brought them into the promised land. And the, the people at the time Jesus was born, they were looking for a savior. They were looking for somebody to give them back the promised land, right? They were looking for somebody to get rid of the Romans and overthrow that oppression, right? And give them the promised land. But God had in mind a much greater type of savior than they had in mind, right? And, and when the angel came to Mary's fiancé Joseph, he told him the meaning behind the name. He says in Matthew one twenty one, he says, Mary will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and then he explains why. He says, For he will save his people and they're like, Oh good, yeah, we need saving from the oppression of the Romans. He will save his people from their sins. He will save their people from their sins because, guys, their biggest problem was not Roman oppression. It was not financial problems. It was not health problems. It was not relationship problems. The Old Testament taught these people anything. Sin was their greatest problem. And so Jesus has come to take away her sin. The gift of Jesus is the gift Mary needed most. She needed most a Savior, just like we do. And so Mary's son would be her Savior. If she has that gift, she's willing to deal with anything that's costly or scary or painful. Isn't that awesome? Guys, Mary sees in God's plan for her, her this, this really difficult plan, that she will be family to the king, carrier of God, and be forgiven through him. And so she responds, behold, I am your servant. Let it be done according to your word. She says, I'm in. You know, this response is only amazing because it's a response to amazing grace, right? If you really see what Mary was getting from having Jesus, then it makes total sense for her to say, I'm in, do whatever you want to me. You know, put me through whatever. Whatever it is, I'm ready for it because I have Him. It's a reasonable response. And you know, guys, it's a reasonable response for us this morning, right? Because we've received the same gift. Guys, we can say, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do in this situation, but let it be done to me according to your word. And the reason why you can do that and I can do that is because you're in the family of the King, right? Just like Mary, you're in the family of the king. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a sister or brother of the king. Do you guys realize that? If you look in Matthew 12, 46, the really cool scene where uh, Jesus is inside with his disciples, and uh, his mother and brothers come to the door, and they're trying to get uh, Jesus' attention, and somebody comes and tells him. And this is what he says He says, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? And then he stretches out his hand and he, to his disciples, and he says, "Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Do you know that Jesus sees you that way? You are a brother or sister of Jesus?" Uh, one of my kids asked me that last night. he was like he was, he was asking me this whole thing, and he said, "So are we then like brothers of Jesus?" And I said, "Yes." He was surprised, right? But it says in Hebrews. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all of one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them brother and sister. As you have a big brother who's the king of kings. And the cool thing about having a big brother, I'm the oldest, so I don't know. But the coolest thing about having a big brother is they can fix things for you. Right? They can fix things for you. If you're threatened or whatever, your big brother can defend you. He will take care of you. He will make things right. Right? Guys, you have the biggest big brother there is. King Jesus, and when he returns, he's going to knock down everything in this world that stands in the way of your everlasting joy. Not awesome? When our brother, the king, appears, all the consequences of the fall will be removed. Whether they're our own physical health, whether they're our internal, you know, mental things that we wrestle with, whether it's our relationships or our society, our environment, whatever, he is going to make right every dimension of this world, joy and peace throughout. It's just amazing. Do you guys remember when Jesus was here, even the wind and the sea obeyed him? When he comes back with a, with a wipe of his hand, he removes everything that's here that's painful, sick, um, that's not right. When he returns, he's going to subdue everything that's harmed us. And if we have that gift, guys, then we can deal with what we have in the meantime, can't we? If we really have a handle on that, we can go, okay, if that's our future, then I can trust him with whatever he has me, for me right now. Also, guys, you're a God-bearer. I don't know if you realize this. You're a Godbearer. If you're a disciple of Jesus, God the Spirit lives within you right now. He lives within you and He transmits inside your body the very life of Jesus. Colossians 1 talking about the Gospel, says it's the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not for nine months, like with Mary, where God dwelled in her for nine months, but for your whole life, you have very God living within you. Christ lives in and through you. And And I just got to think, guys, that has got to make things, that's got to make it so you can deal with any difficulty, right? I mean, I think about Mary, and I think about her, and she has the Messiah. She has God living within her during that time when she was pregnant. And when she faced anything fearful, she had to just think, not much, you know, what could go wrong? God's with me. You know, how could I not face this? God is with me. Guys, you have God with you. You never face a difficulty alone. You never have faced a difficulty alone. Christ is in you. You never lack access to God's presence or his power. He's never far from you. He's within you. Third, he's forgiven you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you are perfect in his sight. You're not perfect in the rest of our sights, believe me, okay? But you are perfect in God's sight. You are perfect in God's sight. And um, you're perfect in God's sight because you wear Jesus's beautiful life as a robe over your body, over your soul, over your whole person. That when God looks at you, he sees Jesus's beautiful life over you as if it's a robe. And it hides all of your sin. And you're treated as if you're Jesus because you wear his righteousness as a robe. It makes you perfect before him. I was just thinking about this season. You know, a lot of people say, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And try and think through some things. And, Um, Try and come up with something. But guys, if we really thought about it, the thing we'd want for Christmas, if we didn't have it, would be this. Could you take away my sin? Could you remove all my guilt? Could you you cover everything I've ever done? Could you do that? And in Jesus, guys, we hear, yes, I have. And I think we'd respond, then I'm good. (laughs) I don't need anything else. I was destined to deal with the consequences of my own sin forever. And now with a wave of his nail-pierced hand, he's removed every one of my sins. And he's clothed me in Jesus's perfect, beautiful life. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel, guys. That's the gift we have in Jesus. And it should create a humble confidence. Humble because this, this isn't ours, right? This, this code isn't mine. This is Jesus's perfect life. But confident because it is yours. He gave it to you as a gift. So it's a humble confidence that, that he produces in us through this. And if we have those things, guys, we can welcome whatever plan God has for us, no matter how scary or painful or costly, and we'll see it as a gift. Be Like, the whole thing's a gift. We can respond like, like Mary does. Do to me according to your word. I'm all in. We can even sing about it. Whatever he commands and whatever he ordains, it's a gift. And guys, God has to be planning. If he's got you in a place of difficulty, he has to be planning something truly amazing in the future with this, right? He has to be planning some sort of epic purpose to glorify himself and to point people to Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, I just think of this. When you think of hardship, think of 2 Corinthians 4, 16. It says this. Paul says, For we do not lose heart. For though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. And then listen to this. And this was a guy who suffered, by the way, the saying this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things uh, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Guys, if he has you in a, in a difficult place, it must be to build an eternal weight of glory. It must be to do something in you that's going to reverberate throughout eternity. Guys, in the new world, it's going to have, you're going to see the effects over and over and over again, and you're going to look back at the whole life, and it's a gift. Are you all in? You know, whatever comes our way, let's, let's have it be big for the glory of this God. The God that Luther spoke of when he said, no other God for me, born in a manger, died on a tree. Right? How, how do, have you received this gift? Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. He's exactly what we needed. We need a king. This place needs a king. Our lives need a king. Lord, we, we pray you would come and rule. We, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we look forward to it. We look forward with joy that you would wipe away everything that's here that is of pain and suffering and difficulty. And fill this place with peace and joy and love. And Lord, we do need God within us. We need you to dwell within us. We have no power within ourselves to save ourselves or to live in the way that you would have us to live. And yet the gift of Jesus is the gift of God in us. We thank you so much for that, Lord. Make that real to us, Lord. I feel like if that was real to us, we could face anything, knowing that we are not alone and you're with us. Make that real to us this season, we pray. And Father, we desperately need forgiveness. And we thank you that we don't have to carry around our sin. I pray for anybody here that's trusting in Christ, that's still carrying around their weight of sin, their burden on their back, the crushing burden of sin. I pray that you would have that just be released from them today, Lord. That as they take communion, as they sing these songs about what you've done, Lord, that they would be completely freed from guilt. Or this isn't about guilt. You've come to set us free from that. We pray, Lord, that that you would do that. We pray for those who are here that don't know you, Lord. Maybe they don't know that they don't know you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to them a word of grace and that they would desire, because of your Spirit, making them alive, that they would desire to turn from sin and trust in you, that they would want this Savior that you've given today. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for all the people that are here. Lord, we pray you bless our, our times with our families. Lord, this could be tricky. As you know, help us with our families to be loving and generous and gracious, Lord. Help us to to live in you. And Father, we pray, thank you. Thank you so much for this gift. Now may we praise you in a way that you would enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.